Thank you, Tom. It's good to be here for a number of reasons. One, the, just relationships with the church, this church uh, over the years with Tom, and uh, we've admired and learned from Green Tree uh, as a model church for the rest of us, and so that's been good. It's good to um, be here for Nathan's ordination. He's a dear, dear brother, so that is good. We're somewhere between angry and envious that he's with you. We'll get over the anger. I don't know about the envy. But uh, we're really delighted that, uh, that he's here, he's here with you. And, um, and on this day of commissioning for the Stevens ministers as well, as you shared your story, my wife, many of you prayed, so we're grateful for my wife a few years ago had bacterial meningitis, a very similar kind of situation. And uh, so she's recovered as well. And so for those of you who prayed for her during that, uh, <clears throat> that time, Uh, you brought back too many memories. Um, we're grateful, grateful. But now, the task at hand. Let's pray, if you would, before I read this passage of Scripture. Father in heaven, now we come to your word. It's your word, and so we pray that you would cause us to listen, most especially to believe it, and to live it, we need you, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. I want to read a passage from John chapter 13, the first 20 verses, so please listen. This is indeed the word of God. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, What I'm doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you, for he know who, who was to betray him, and that is why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. Truly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen. But the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has, filled, has lifted his heel against me. 
I'm telling you this now before it takes place, and when it does take place, that you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Now, what I want to do today is to take this verse, this last one I read, because it seems to me fitting for Stephen's ministers. It seems to me fitting for Nathan in his ordination service. It's really fitting for all of us as believers. And it's a profound statement of Jesus. Let me read it again, verse 20. Jesus said, truly, truly, literally, amen, amen. Now, everything Jesus said was true. So when he would say, this is really true, then we really need to pay attention to it. So he said, I want you to get this, guys. Don't miss this at all. Whoever receives the one I send receives me. He's saying this to these disciples, saying this really to us as well. Think about that. When we come to people sent by Jesus in the name of Jesus, and they say yes, they're saying yes to Jesus. They're saying yes to this gospel that we bring to them, that we declare this good news that says that the kingdom of God has come in Jesus. That's what we bring. We bring the gospel. We're bringing this message to say, this is epic. This changes everything. The kingdom of God has come. The rule of God has come in Jesus, in his coming, in his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his sending of the spirit, all of that. You see, the kingdom of God is is here in through him. So when they say yes to us as we come in the name of Jesus, they're saying yes to all that he is and all that he's done. They're saying yes to this rule of God that exists now, this rule of forgiveness, this rule of grace, this rule of mercy, this rule of compassion, this rule of kindness, this rule of power over sin. You see, that's what they're saying yes to when they say yes to us, sent by Jesus, who come in his name. He says, if, if they receive you, they receive me, and if they receive me, they receive the one who sent me, meaning God, the Father. They receive him. Takes your breath away, doesn't it? It's the same kind of thing Jesus was saying uh, before his ascension, John chapter 20. He's with his disciples after the resurrection, and he says to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any. It's withheld. Same sense here. If they receive you coming in my name with this gospel, their sins will be forgiven. Think about that. So not only are we sent by Jesus, we also learn in this passage that we're to be sent like him. That is to say, if we're sent in his name, then there's a sense in which we need to be like him. And so he says to his disciples after this classic time of washing their feet, he says to them in verse, in verse uh, 15 of chapter 13, he says, 
you, for you, for I've given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant, again, truly, truly, listen to this. Everything I say is true, but really listen to this. But a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sends him. He says, listen, I'm sending you. Whoever receives you as you come in my name with this gospel of the kingdom receives me. And whoever receives me receives really this kingdom of God. But to go, sent in my name, you must follow this example of mine. So I have three questions this morning. One I may not get to. Whoops, excuse me. First question is this. What is this that Jesus wants us to emulate? What is this that is necessary, if you will, for us to emulate this example? What is it really? Secondly, why is it necessary? I think that one's intuitively obvious. We'll just touch on that as we go through. Thirdly, how does that work itself out in us? In other words... How am I so transformed so that I can emulate Jesus in this regard? Does that make sense? Those three questions. First one, this. What are we supposed to emulate here? Now, I don't think that Jesus was instituting a third sacrament. Some of you, some of us, have been involved in foot washing services and all of that. And there's a certain sense where that's whatever that is. But um, good, and, and yet it's not a sacrament of the church. We read through the New Testament, we don't find this as coming alongside baptism and communion and so forth. So I don't think he's saying, I want you to walk around, go around and wash each other's feet. I think what he wants us to do is emulate the humility that washing another's feet, especially in this culture, took. Now, it seems rather odd for us. And when someone would come to our house that we'd wash their feet, uh, we, we don't typically do that. We do, we do other things. We wipe our feet, right? And during the flu season, we may even wash our hands as we enter. But, but for them, it was a very practical thing, obviously. They, they would walk around. Their feet would get dirty, dusty, muddy when they would come into a place. Uh, if there was a slave there, then that slave would wash the feet of the guests who came. Now, it was such a demeaning activity to wash another's feet in that culture that even in Jewish households, it couldn't be a Jewish slave. It had to be a Gentile slave because they wouldn't even put that on their own countrymen. So you can only imagine when they come for this Passover meal with Jesus that, that since it was a rented space and all of that, there would be no slave present. It would be unthinkable for any of the disciples to think that they ought to wash the feet of one of their fellow disciples. It would just, it wouldn't even cross their mind. It would be the social equivalent of an oxymoron. It would be, it'd be like going out in the garage and saying to your three-year-old, I think you should drive today. I mean, it just doesn't cross your mind to do that. Or a kid in Lawrence growing up thinking he should go to Mizzou. Yeah, it just wouldn't happen. So you can only imagine how unthinkable it was that Jesus, the master, took off his outer garments, put a towel around his waist, and went about washing, doing the work of the lowest of the lowest slave 
He says, this is what I want you to grasp, you see. Now, Paul in Philippians, in chapter 2, speaks in, in a similar way about Jesus, kind of lays it out. In verse 5, he says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Have this mind because it really is yours. If you know Jesus and he dwells in you by his spirit, this is really the attitude that's fighting for attention in your life and will win because he's the Lord. And so give into it. <laughs> Yield to this mind. And it's this mind of humility. Notice how Paul puts it of Jesus. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He says, this is what I want you to emulate. Now you see, if you can see this, when Jesus was washing the feet of his disciples, when he went through all of that, it was a picture of the incarnation. It was a picture of Jesus not grasping that which was truly his, which was the place of honor, the place of worship, the place of being God. He didn't grasp that. It was true of him. He didn't give that up in the incarnation. It was true of him, but he took on something else that when you looked at him, you didn't see his godness, if you will, except glimpses that they would see throughout the course of his life when his glory would be shown, when these great healings would happen, great teachings would happen, and so forth. But there he was not grasping. He says, that's what I want you to be. That's what I want you to do. I want you to be like that. If you're going to be sent by me, like me, then you need to have this mind in you to, to not grasp all that you think is your place, your position, your rights, all of that, but yet humble yourself because, you see, that's necessary if you're going to represent me, that kind of humility. Now with Jesus, of course, it was a voluntary giving up. With you, with us, it's just sort of like looking around and we realize that we're not God. That we're really just like everybody else. That there isn't above anybody else. Oh, we have positions in our social life and all of that, in our economic life and, and education life and all of that. But really when it all boils down to it, we're all sinners. Only saved by grace. All sinners in need of the grace of God. One not better than the other. So for us, in a sense, it's just a realistic look at who we really are. And Jesus says, now I want you, if you're really going to be sent by me like me, so that those who receive you receive me, then here's the mind that you must have, this humility. Paul opens that up in these opening verses of Philippians he says, Philippians 2, so he says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection, any sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, that is, don't grasp the glory that's only due Jesus. In humility, don't grasp what you think is your place and your position over anyone else. Don't grasp at that. But in humility, count others more significant 
than yourself. He's saying to me, saying to all of us, don't be so self-absorbed. Don't be so self-concerned. Don't be so, in this sense, self-conscious, thinking of yourself all the time, that you miss what's around you in the needs of others. Had God done that and not been merciful and seen us in our misery, he would have never sent Jesus. If Jesus had done that, he would have never come. If he had been so self-conscious, he would not have come. He, he, but he did, and then he took this form, if you will, took on humanity as a human being to know us well, and then humbled himself to be the lowest, if you will, among us, to do this foot washing, to die. Just, I'm sending you like that. Now, why is this necessary? Why was it really necessary for us to be sent like that, to have this sense of humility? Well, of course, first, if we don't, then we've really missed the gospel. Because this sense of humbling ourselves, indeed, before God to, to even receive him. You remember what Jesus said, and find this in Luke in chapter 18. Jesus said of, of, of children on one occasion, he says, now they were bringing infants to him that he might touch them. And when, he, when the disciples saw it, they rebuked him. But Jesus called to them, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Now, what Jesus meant by that wasn't that children are innocent, and so we need to be innocent in order to receive the kingdom of God. If you have children or have been a child, you know that children aren't innocent. That wasn't his point. What children are, are completely, infants especially, dependent. They just sort of come to you and they say, help me. I can't. Feed me. I can't. Take me places. I can't. He says, you got to come like that. That's the nature of it. That's the humility of it. He says, if you don't have that, if you don't have this humility, you can't really yourself enter the kingdom of God. So how can you represent the one who brings the kingdom of God? And how can you indeed be received in such a way that people who receive you receive this kingdom of God? In fact, on another occasion, in, in the same kind of situation where uh, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and children come, you see, he says this, Whoever receives this child in my name receives me. Whoever receives me receives him who sent me. This is Mark chapter 9. For he who is the least among you is the greatest. He says, whoever receives one who's been humbled and who comes in the humility of Christ receives me. It's, it's necessary for us, you see. And not only that, it's necessary for us. If we're to have any power of all the script at all in this work, the scripture says that God gives grace to the humble, 
but he resists the proud. The humble says, I can't. The proud says, I can. The humble says, I need. The, the proud says, I, I don't need. And he says, if you want to know power, the very power of God, the very power of this kingdom of God, you've got to be humble, and you've got to come first to God and say, help me, before you can really help another. And see, Jesus says, you have to come like that. He was dependent, amazingly so, upon his father. He said, I never say anything I don't hear the father saying. I never do anything I haven't seen the father do. I come to do the will of my father. That's my meat and drink. That's my very life, you see. And so, so Jesus modeled that for us. And he says, now you live like that, that kind of humility to yield, to give your whole attention to this other, to God, that you may really serve one another. And then, of course, there's no joy at all in life unless we know this. Jesus said to them, verse 17 of chapter 13, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. The word blessed there simply means happy. Deeper, probably, than we mean by happy. A sense of joy, a sense of contentment, a sense of satisfaction, a sense of, yes, this is really life. He says, if you want to live real life, don't live selfishly. Don't live above. If you want to live, if you want to have a joyful, satisfied, fulfilled, even happy life, live below. Live in humility considering the interests of others. Blessed are you, he says, if you do them. So the question then is, how really is this formed in us, this, this kind of humility? Well, the classic part of this passage where Jesus washes the feet of his disciples is, is where he comes to Peter, and uh, he starts to wash Peter's feet, and Peter says, no, 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 you can't do this. And, and Jesus said, well, you won't understand it now, but later you'll understand it. But we kind of empathize, at least I do, with Peter, because it seems so incongruous to Peter to have Jesus wash his feet. And you can see that. He knew that Jesus was Lord and Master, and he knew the culture, and he knew what this meant, and he says, you really can't do this. This, this really isn't right uh, for you to do, and, and we kind of get that. But notice Jesus' response. He says to Peter, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Now, if I'm Peter, I'm thinking, Jesus, I think you're overreacting. <laughs> you know, is this just feet, you know? I can take care of this myself, or not that big a deal. You mean that if you don't wash my feet, then I'm out? Like Judas? So Peter reconsiders, and he says, okay, wash my head, my hands, take care of the whole deal. And Jesus said, no, Peter, <laughs> you're not in control here. We'll do this my way. And he says to Peter, you're clean. You only need your feet washed. Now, that would be true physically because, you see, no doubt Peter bathed before he went to the party. But when he walked there, he got his feet dirty. So ankle up, he was fine. Ankle down, not so much. 
So he says, you've got to take care. We've got to take care of your feet physically. But there's something else that Peter would come to understand. We now understand what Jesus meant by that. Just like he said, you won't understand it now, but you will. What we know now is this, that as believers in Christ, we are clean. But as believers in Christ, we still need our feet washed. Why? Sadly, and sometimes we don't understand it, we still sin. So we're clean. We're, as the technical word, we're justified. We're declared righteous by God. We come into his presence. We believe. And, and at that moment in time, we're washed, as the scripture says. We're cleansed. We're clean. But yet as we walk through life, what happens? We sin. We know it. And so here's the point of it. When we sin, it's necessary for us, just like the Lord's Prayer tells us, forgive us our debts. It's necessary for us as quickly as possible to confess our sins before the Lord. And it's important for a number of reasons. One is because we need relationally to have that relationship restored. And we sin against God, just like when a person sins against you or another, you realize, oh, it's not quite the way it ought to be. So, so confession, forgiveness needs to take place. He says, it's not that you've fallen out of being my child, but relationally, you need to confess so we can be in fellowship, restored together. But the second thing is this. Allow it to be a reminder always that you and I are no better than anybody else. We're not above anybody else. We're all sinners in need of the grace of God. And you see, I think Peter would reflect back on this time all the time, no better. I'm to wash the feet of others. That would be, again, just something that would completely out of his mindset. But he says, okay, I get it. That's what it must be. You see, if you had taken a picture that night of Jesus washing the feet of his disciples, and you'd taken that picture and then asked the question, who's the master of this event, you would have never picked Jesus because he was washing the feet of everybody else. In fact, you might not even have looked at him in the picture. You would look at all the ones seated at the table. It's got to be one of these guys. But it wasn't. There's a sense in which Jesus is saying, take a picture Grace Church, Green Tree Church, Bill Vogler, you. Take a picture and ask, who's the master here? No one would pick us. They'd pick him. Because we're to be sent by him, sent like him, serving. I want to end by reading this prayer then I'll pray it. <laughs> um, it came from an old dead guy. <clears throat> and, and when I first came upon it, I thought, I don't know if I liked this. And then I realized I didn't like it. And then I realized I need to pray this. 
Because the reason I didn't like it was because it, it sort of cut across my whole sinfulness. And it begins like this, Oh, Jesus, meek and humble of heart, hear me. Deliver me, oh, Jesus, from the de desire of being esteemed, from the desire of being loved, from the desire of being extolled, from the desire of being honored, from the desire of being praised, from the desire of being preferred to others, from the desire of being consulted, from the desire of being approved. Now, now each one of those is good in a sense. We're, we're to want to be loved. God loves us. We're to receive that love and to be loved by others and to love them and all of that. And, and there's a time to honor and a time to praise one another and so forth and so on. But, but you get the point here. What he's saying is there's a sinful spin on all of these that, that means that if we, if, if we have this desire of being loved, if that's our motivation to being esteemed and being honored, being extolled, then, then what will happen is that people will miss Jesus because we'll be too much in the picture, that we'll speak more of us than of him, that we'll think more of us than of them. And, and he says, no, no, so deliver me, God. And then he says, deliver me from the fear of being humiliated, from the fear of being despised, from the fear of suffering rebukes, from the fear of being falsely accused, from the fear of being forgotten, from the fear of being ridiculed, from the fear of being wronged, from the fear of being suspected. In other words, the first one is, is, is God deliver me from the desire to take glory from Jesus. And the second is, God, uh, uh, deliver me from the fear of losing my glory. And then finally he says this, oh Jesus, grant me the grace to desire that others be loved more than I that others may be esteemed more than I, that in the opinion of the world others may increase and I may decrease, that others may be chosen and I set aside, others may be praised and I unnoticed, that others may be preferred to me in everything. And then finally this one, he says, that others may become holier than I, provided that I become as holy as I should. And that's what he's saying, God, I know my own heart, I know <laughs> I want to be praised more than others so forgive me and deliver me from that desire as well if we're going to wash feet we're going to be sent by Jesus like him to be received in such a way that when we are received people are understanding and getting and seeing and perceiving and believing that the kingdom of God has come in Jesus we must have his mind set ourselves in that sense aside and love. Let's pray. Father, I pray for me, for us, that you would in fact deliver us from the de desire to be esteemed and loved and extolled and honored and praised and preferred and consulted and approved Deliver us from the fear of being humiliated, despised, rebuked, falsely accused, forgotten, ridiculed, wronged, suspected. And yet, Father, we would live to glorify you so that when others see us, they look to Jesus. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.